we're the first generation to feel the impact of climate change and the last generation that can do something about it. We are in the beginning of a mass extinction and all you can talk about is money. There's been a big push in terms of focusing in on how investors might be able to put their money behind environmental or social impact goals here. Lots to work on, but if we get it right, it will have a huge and positive impact. In this episode of Adventures in Sustainable Business, Sveinung, we are going to address a question from a listener or indeed a person who was among those who uh, encouraged us to uh, create the English version of this podcast series in the first place. And um, he, um, when, when we asked him what kinds of topics he'd like us to cover, he said, well, I would surely like for you to explain what you mean when you say in your books and in your presentations that business needs a restart. And in order for a sustainable future to be more likely, we need many big and small restarts. What is this restart that you are referring to uh, and how can companies do that in practice? What would that imply? That's uh, a very good question. And, and I understand the question as well, because it seems kind of radical, harsh to do a restart. At the same time, we know we've been growing up with computers since the 80s through the 90s, La Jacob, and that really is pushing the, the restart button, going Control-Alt-Delete. And, and, it feels and make, so good. <laughs> it feels so good, especially if we, if it wakes up again and, um, and, and works as, as you want, want it to do. And um, a restart here is, 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 as the word says, it's kind of a, a fresh start. And it's, uh, it's a way of thinking, how can we do things in a better way? But the restart often takes us back to start. And in the way, Lars Jakob, we're not talking about getting back to start. We're talking about a, a new start, a, mm. a different pathway, aren't we? Yeah, and I guess ultimately that's what sustainable business is about. It's about not throwing away everything you've got and starting from scratch, but it's about rebuilding, sort of taking the building blocks you have. Some of them will perhaps be put away. Others will be used in other ways than they have been, and, and some of them will remain in place. And I think from the point of view of a company, that's how sustainable, the, the sort of the challenge of sustainable business uh, looks. It's about retaining the best parts of your strategy, your business models, and your operations, but building something that is more fit for the future. And I think that's ultimately what the challenge of sustainable business is about. And restart. Is a framework, Sveinung, that you and I developed um, through our research uh, through many years. And we had been out on many different kinds of adventures since we started working together in the, in, in the mid-2000s at a time where, if you will, the treasure chest of sustainable business models was quite, uh, was quite thin. Uh, there weren't a lot of really great cases around, but there were a lot of things happening and a lot of things developing that were pointing us towards some new new kinds of or ways of doing business that we're seeing a whole lot more of now uh, more than 15 years later and restart was like a roadmap that you and I developed uh, from our uh, research on companies that were trying to align sustainability and profitability from our other kinds of work with companies whether it's advisors or or in other capacities and we tried in some sense to sketch out what are the underlying developments at the level of business models, at the levels of, of strategies that are you know, changing business. What, what is really going on underneath the surface that is perhaps similar, whether you are an energy company, a travel agent, a financial institution, a, a consumer goods company, a player in the retail industry, a logistics company. There are some things, we argued, that are sort of cross-cutting, some drivers and, and some sort of underlying uh, trends or, or movements uh, in a particular direction that is pushing the, these companies to change their business models. And when we started writing down those developments, we arrived at seven of them. 
And after a little bit of tweaking and polishing and uh, twisting our brains, we managed to turn them into an acronym of seven letters, which ended up being the word restart. Uh, And those seven developments, I guess, is what this episode is about. And it is what our understanding of what a restart like this is going to look like. We will talk more about this this restart framework, Lars Jakob, but let's take a step back. I, I use the analogy of um, of the computer screen or or something that you have to restart, and it feels good. And and sometimes it is a restart. It's it's going back to 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 the original version, and and, and other times it's uh, it's uh, you have to restart it and, and perhaps even upgrade it to to to, to get it uh, moving as as you wanted, and. Um, and here I'm, I'm just tempted before we talk about the, the, the restart framework and the, and the need for doing something differently. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about the problem. What is the problem in the first place? Um, is it like the, the blue screen or is it a, a, an app that you're using on the phone that is that is freezing or in, in, in the in the context then of, uh, of business and sustainability? Uh, what do you think is is the problem? Why Why do we need a restart? Well, that's a great question, Sainung, and, it, and it's a big question. Uh, so in some sense, I'm going to narrow it down a little bit. I, I, I think that what, uh, what the problem is, or at least what the challenge is from the point of view of, of let's say, an executive or, or, or a business manager, is that the, the set of objectives that companies are expected to deliver on, the set of expectations directed at, at companies, is expanding. Uh, you know, it's not like profitability isn't uh, important anymore, quite quite the contrary. But there was a time where profitability was more or less the, the only uh, measure of success, if you will, or not just profitability, but, you know, f- financial outcomes of, of various sorts. But the financial performance dimension was the performance dimension of companies. And then there's been discussion about, you know, ethical issues, about what companies might have a responsibility for and so on. But what has really happened in, well, let's say the last decade in particular, and and perhaps even more so in the last five years, is that the expectation of companies to deliver also on social performance and environmental performance, and also being able to see those two performance dimensions in relation with financial performance. So basically, this kind of triple bottom line thinking, whereby companies increasingly are expected by their investors, you know, by other stakeholders to be both sustainable and profitable. That makes it, well, it makes it more difficult to manage organizations because suddenly you have a set of outcomes that are, they're not necessarily on a collision course. They're not necessarily a trade-off, not at all. But in order to be able to deliver both on sustainability performance and financial performance, uh, we th- there is a need to to rethink the way that business is conducted. There is a need for uh, a, a new way of thinking about strategies, about business models, and about operations. And I think that's where the need for what we call a restart uh, comes from. It is this attempt to in some sense broaden the <laughs> broaden the domain the the performance domain of companies to take seriously that yes we are interested in value creation but we are also interested in how that value is created let's be uh, a little practical right now Jacob, and and go back in, in in time a little bit we when we wrote the the, the first book responsible and profitable uh, we, we tried to find good examples of companies who had done that transition from only being profitable to, to, to being both, both responsible or sustainable then and profitable at the same time. And it's it's a story that has been following us for, for a long time, a company here that really looked itself in the mirror and 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 understood that it was a big part of of the problem and this is uh, this is the founder of the company and it's a it's a huge industrial company from the southern parts of the united states of, of america uh, called interface 
And I remember when we when we saw those TED Talks and started to read about Ray Anderson and his his epiphany, and he calls it epiphany. Uh, if I if I'm not wrong, he says something like, um, "Well, in the future, people like me will be put to jail." Uh, and that was after he was asked by the managers in the companies in the mid 90s, 1990s actually. He was he was asked to come up with the sustainability vision or the environmental vision of this huge carpet producing uh, factory and if i recall it right um he was quite optimistic he went home uh, in the weekend he picked up a few books the ecology of business or something like that and then he sat down and he started thinking about this and started to think about the whole business operation, the whole value chain. Where did the resources come from? How was the carpets produced? How was it uh, uh, delivered to which kind of customers? What happened to these carpets after uh, they were worn out? Um, and, and then he, and, and he, he came to the conclusion that he and his company was more like a criminal, an environmental criminal, and that they needed to rethink the whole way of doing business. And that's kind of a, a, a radical restart, Lashako, but that's also about the, the, the problem. And I ask you, what is the problem? And you answered very well on, yes, it, it is a problem here. And the, and the problem is related to not only being profitable, but trying to find ways of combining profitability and sustainability and responsibility. And that wake up for uh, Interface and Ray Anderson, and they set the goal uh, they set the goal to be again zero zero footprint in in 2020. So they they, they gave themselves almost 25 years because they said and 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 he says that the problems that they were creating was so big, but the problem that they created was also part of a system, a system that they could not control by themselves. They were dependent on so much things, on the technology, on on investments in new production facilities in new ways of, of producing uh, carpets, not only that, but also a new way of thinking, how should uh, the customers um, buy this carpet? Should they buy it at all? I, I mean, that kind of, that was an epiphany for us as it was a, an epiphany for him. And also it kind of more talks about the, the feelings and the values and the problems behind it. Not only that, intellectual yes you have to be uh, sustainable and profitable at the same time yes we have to to solve all these kinds of environmental and social and and economic economical problems it's so easy to kind of talk about this in an intellectual way <laughs> so to speak or conceptual or an abstract way but when you go down there and look at this huge company uh, with a huge footprint and also that uh, that um, that uh, awakening then saying that well we we need to do things completely different and 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 interface here is for me is only a proxy of all the companies in the world or most companies in the world that needs to 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 look themselves in the mirror we need to look ourselves in the mirror as as consumers you know um and then see okay what can we do differently uh, how and why and, and and so what and i think i i said earlier that uh, interface uh, sorry, I didn't say anything about interface. I said that when we started looking for cases many, many years ago, when we started investigating sustainable business models, uh, the tre- treasure chest was quite uh, was was it was quite thin and few and far between the cases that were relevant. Interface was among the early cases we we um, found and and started digging into. And and what I think is particularly fascinating about interface. Because yes, I agree, they're a proxy for everyone else, but in some sense also they stick out. Because even now, some you know, 15 plus years later, they are still a relevant case. There is still so much going on. And you mentioned that they, uh, they had this goal of, of being net zero footprint by the year 2020. And that's now last year. Uh, we're recording this in 2021. And they have just kept uh, pushing their ambitions upwards. Uh, so they have kept, um, in some sense, innovating uh, to, to improve on their, their sustainability performance so that now they're not just talking about net zero. Now they're talking about becoming a regenerative company. They're talking about you know, uh, leaving nature in a better state than it was before they, in some sense, entered it. So if there's a, uh, an interface factory somewhere, uh, nature around that factory should 
really be in better shape than it was before uh, the factory was built. And that's quite contrary to how we normally think about the interaction between a factory and uh, and the environment. But but you know, I want I want you to talk more about that, Lars uh, Jakob, and 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 more about the the development. And I also want you to to try to connect it to the, the restart framework. But I, I introduced the case here. So so we have both the abstract side and the concrete side. But that but but just just wait a second, because that, that that regenerative um, that they now are starting to to design factories as a forest. And I mean just the question there, it, it sounds kind of a hippie in a way, I have to be honest. But I mean this is uh, but it's not. I, I I mean this is this is this is a um, huge industrial player that started to ask itself itself questions like if a forest or nature started a factory how would that factory be what would it look like uh, and and how can how can a forest then produce clean air clean water be a part of all the natural systems at the same time that it produces trees and flowers and, and and everything in 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 the forest and and i mean just having that as an ambition that's that's uh, that's uh, ambitious uh, really um, and i think it's extremely creative to, to to go in and say how can we mimic nature here at the same time producing um carpets um that are attractive for the end customer. Uh, and I think uh, in some sense, we're getting ahead of ourselves because we <laughs> we love the recent developments of this case. So let's go back to the starting point because I think uh, your, your uh, pointer back to 1994 is a good example here of the kinds of processes that we're talking about when we're talking about a restart. And, and we will soon, dear listener, introduce what these seven letters of the acronym RESTART represent. So, <laughs> so bear with us while we try to make this practical uh, at first. Because you mentioned Ray Anderson back in 1994, and there's a lot of good documentation about this process from the point of view of the company and its managers. There are TED Talks, there are books written about this and, and cases. So so the interested listener can, can dig uh, deeper into the case of Interface and who knows, maybe sometime in the future, future we'll uh, invite someone from the company to talk uh, with us here on, on the podcast. But back in 1994, they t- took a long look at their business model, at their strategy, at their way of doing business. And they realized that there were some really deeply integrated environmental problems associated with the way they were doing business. And like you said, this was a carpet producing company, a sort of traditional production and sales oriented company that mostly sold wall-to-wall carpets for the corporate customer. So basically they would be selling to buyers like hotel chains, uh, industrial parks, office buildings, and so on. And um, the nice thing about that is that you're selling a whole lot of square meters uh, of uh, of carpet, uh, and you're rolling them out. They were typically produced in big rolls that you rolled out across these rooms, um, and you sold them. You waved goodbye to the customer, and you hoped that the next time they needed a new carpet when it was worn out, uh, that they would come back and buy another one. Uh, there were many environmental issues associated with this. Uh, there were petroleum products in the, I don't know, rubbery kind of mat that is underneath the carpet itself. Uh, so it was petroleum intensive. Uh, also, the energy for the the production was largely driven by fossil f- fossil uh, um, energy forms. In addition, of course, there was a big pollution problem here associated with uh, the end of life of the product. So uh, these products were ripped off the floors when they needed to be changed, uh, the whole thing, uh, and it ended up somewhere in, in a landfill. Uh, so there was a lot of, of input factors going into this process, many of which were quite CO2 intensive. Uh, there was a lot going into the production. There was uh, a lot uh, ending up in as waste at the end of life. And uh, this was sort of a conventional business model, as many production companies of, the, of, of this sort would have at the time. And they want, so they had identified these footprints and they wanted to do something about them. And what I think seen from the outside looks so impressive about how Interface went about this is that they put down a sort of task force of product designers, of engineers, of, you know, people in the company 
who could give input into how they could achieve these goals. So there was a product redesign, but I think much more importantly, there was a business model redesign. So the the, the, the business model itself of the company uh, was changed. So they ended up doing a lot of things. But from the way that the story is told, uh, something had already occurred, Sveinung, uh, with this company that served as a sort of catalyst for this business model transition, if you will. And it was a change that had been made for logistical reasons, which was that uh, one of the people in Interface had suggested that they could start chopping up these big rolls of carpet into what we now know as carpet tiles, these small square carpets that are you know, put out on the floors almost like uh, the pieces of a puzzle. And you puzzle together the carpet. This was a, a clever touch from a logistical point of view because it allowed you to, to stack these tiles on top of each other, which was very space efficient uh, when you wanted to transport these uh, carpet tiles. But it also had huge implications for how Interface chose to redesign its business model. And I think this is one of the reasons that we 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 love this case, and it's it's so rich, and it has all these nuances, and and this is one of them, and it's so tightly connected to innovation, and it's a product innovation here, it's it's a production innovation, it's a logistic innovation, it's it, it's 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 really a new way of of thinking about the product carpet, which opens up for so many uh, new opportunities and new, as you say, business models. But it isn't evident, and it isn't evident that becoming sustainable or, 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 or doing um, investments in sustain sustainability for a business will, will lead to more profitability. In order to find those um, new ways of doing business, redesigning the business, the, the, the first letter of the, of, the, of the restart framework, redesigning Now business. we're getting there. Yes, but I mean, redesigning <laughs> um, business models. And, and it's so easy to, to, to say, uh, well, uh, just about aligning profitability and sustainability. But many times it's it's more costly to be sustainable. It's uh, it, it will drive the cost. It's, it's not obvious that it will drive um, the income in the same way. It's not evident that it will, uh, will drive um, and your the reputation of the company or lower the risk of the company. All of these things have to, to be uh, designed, thought through, tested out, uh, and so on. But then to find, to use these squares and find the business models around them. Of course, you could find them. Uh, there, there are there are um, um, cost benefits, right? So you could transport more carpet um, using the same car. <laughs> so it's it's less fuel. It's 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 less cars, uh, less people driving, and so on. So it's a, it's a cost factor there. But then from there on, how then? And that that was kind of the next. Um, um, the question to be asked also in the company, how can we turn this into something that relates to sustainability and how can we design a business model around it where we don't have to change the whole carpet when it's worn out? You only change the parts of the, uh, the carpet that are worn out. And then, of course, as an investor, you would say, okay, so you, from now on, we're just going to sell one or two or a hundred uh, Square meters of of carpet where where we used to sell thousand <laughs> you know thousands of, of square meters. Uh, what's the business idea behind this? And 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 again, this is this requires an understanding of business model. It requires an understanding of the customer and the customer's needs, and it requires uh, an understanding of how sustainability can be used as a driving force in business model innovation. So this led the company then. In, in my understanding, again, seen from the outside, that's the big disclaimer here. We have not worked with Interface. We have not been on the inside of this process. So this is based, of course, on, on uh, available sources and some conversations we've had with managers in the company uh, in, in, in recent years. Uh, but, but this led them to think, well, what is really, what is the value proposition here? What is it that we are delivering to our customers that solves their problems? And essentially, what these customers want is to know that there's a, there's a well-functioning and nice-looking carpet in every room they have where there is need for a carpet. That's essentially the, the problem that you're supposed to solve. And you, so far, we've solved that 
by selling them carpet and they put that in the rooms and when they uh, either get uh, worn out or damaged or old-fashioned or whatever it might be uh, then they call us and they ask us for a new carpet uh, this could be solved in another way the business developers of interface thought because we could essentially be selling uh, the guarantee that there is a nice-looking and well-functioning carpet in your room at any given time. So we can turn this product into a service. We can sell not the carpet. In, in fact, we're not selling it at all. We can allow our customers to pay us for the access to the carpet, meaning that at any given time during the contract period, there is a well-functioning carpet in place, and Interface takes the sort of responsibility for ensuring that that is the case. Then you've taken a product that is still very much a physical product like it was, and you've turned it into a service. You've said, well, this carpet is really a is carpet as a service. That's sort of the, the logic of, of the model. And that generates a number of incentives for interface that allowed them to make very substantial changes on other aspects of the business model and the product itself. Because one of the things that they did was that they replaced petroleum-based input factors into the product uh, with other factors, with other input factors. That I think was important because it sort of disconnected them from the ups and downs of the oil price and, and things like that. It also reduced the environmental footprint of the product as such. Also, now that they retained the ownership of the carpet, because remember what happens now when you turn carpet into a service is that the customer no longer takes on the ownership of the carpet. So that means that Interface keeps owning it. So their inventory is really put out on floors all across the American continent and, and other continents as well. They operate in other parts of the world too. So now Interface are paid by the minute for carpets that they still own. That gives them an incentive to make a carpet that lasts forever. It, makes them an, uh, it gives them an incentive to make a carpet that they can take back and use for other purposes, recycle, uh, reuse. Uh, and it gives them uh, an incentive to, in other ways, you know, work with the customer to upgrade the carpet, maintain the value of the carpet for as long as possible. Now, that's a very different position to be in, and many things have changed with the product design, many things have changed in terms of the relation to the customer, and many things have changed in terms of how um, Interface makes money from any given square meter of carpet. So, so what we're really talking about here is the business model of, of, uh, of Interface. What was the business model initially, and what uh, what did they want it to become and how did they transition that business model from the initial one, initial <laughs> initial one to to uh, the new one and 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 this r of the restart framework is then closely tied to the business model and the understanding of the current business model and um, and future opportunities how can that be made more circular how can products be turned into um, uh, services uh, what do we need internally what kind of resources do we need internally in our business to be able then not to only deliver square meters of uh, of new carpets but then to uh, as you say, deliver carpets as a service. And that's a new business model for, for Interface. And it's tied, again, to the question of sustainability. Because how can they uh, reduce the negative footprint of the company by not selling as much carpet as before, not selling only carpets that are made from, from virgin materials, not carpets that are made through um, energy sources, in the brown categories, <laughs> how can they kind of do all these things? How can they deliver this in, in new ways? And how also can they capture? So we have those three dimensions. How did they how did they initially create value? Well, they sold carpets. How did they deliver it? Well, they used um, new resources and um, and so on. And they 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 produced it. They distributed. They help probably help customers to get rid of it, and they sold new new ones when, when the the old old ones were discarded, and they had partners at 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 uh, at, uh, at the 
at that time. And then they captured value through selling um, new carpets, right? But now you're introducing and you're telling us the story of how they recreated value. They, they started to offer the carpets as a service, carpet as a service. Well, that required new ways of delivering that. They needed people to deliver services, not only produce these products. They probably also needed new partnerships with other kinds of organizations that could uh, provide uh, other uh, income, uh, uh, not income, I'm going to try again, that provided um, other uh, sources of of, uh, revenue. Thank you, revenue streams, Lashok. But I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about all that, the, the whole delivery package here, the resources and the activities and the, the partnerships, right? And, and um, in order to then deliver that new value proposition, right? Then they needed new resources. I mean, if, if, you, if you're going to have uh, uh, servicemen and women instead of uh, just producers, well, then you need to, to get access to that. You need the training behind it. There's so many things on the resource side. And the resource question uh, also captures um, if it's uh, recycled materials or not and, and so on. So the resource question to do the activities in partnerships with others. And then you're to the, the, the capture part where you also have to, to redesign the way you capture value uh, when you, you're going to uh, sell it as a service. And it's not self-evident that uh, selling less carpets as a service will provide the same income as as the original models. But so this restart and the, the question of redesigning the business model and the listeners out there, all of them, if they're in a, a Profit uh, uh, for profit organization, if it's an uh, ideal organization like the Red Cross, or if it's in the public sector, all of them will have some kind of business uh, model or a model where they create value in some sense, they deliver value in some sense, and they capture a value in some sense. Sometimes the customers are paying directly. Sometimes as the, the, it's not the end customer that, that is paying for the product or the service, it's some, someone else. And we will talk much more about these business models. And we will talk much more, like Jacob, about the externalities, the negative side effects of a business model and the positive side effects. And we will talk about that innovation aspect of finding new ways of creating value, finding new ways of, of delivering and finding new ways of capturing. And that's the, the essence of a restart and the essence of the first R in, in the restart framework, which, which is redesign. Yeah, and I'm going to take this opportunity to pivot and uh, put the pause button on interface. We're going to return to interface, but I think um, this is a good time now, Sveinung, to actually introduce the seven letters of the framework. And you just introduced the first one, which is redesign. And what we have talked about so far with interface is a very, very comprehensive redesign of a business model. Indeed, as we said, it has lasted 25 years. But even after the first five years or so, uh, uh, they had started uh, quite considerably redesigning their business models. I would urge anyone to go into the to the interface.com website and and read. There's a web. There's a site on their on their um, website called Our History, and it's divided into the first twenty years from seventy three to ninety three, and then nineteen ninety four, the year of the epiphany, as you mentioned, or the the spear in the chest moment, as Ray Anderson referred to it, is a year on its own uh, on this timeline. Then they talk about nineteen ninety four to nineteen ninety nine, the first five years, which was this sort of uh, quite considerable rethink, and then it's the two decades coming after two thousand to two thousand and nine and two thousand and ten to the present. And there are very clear faces in this very ambitious and comprehensive uh, redesign or redesigns, plural, I would say, of the business model. Clear faces in interface? No, no. Different kinds many, of faces. Many faces. Many faces. <laughs> many faces or interface. Uh. <laughs> exactly. Interfaces could perhaps be uh, the name. But but let's, let's talk about these seven... Um, um, uh, letters of the acronym RESTART and of which redesign is the first. And I'm going to quote from our book RESTART Sustainable Business Model Innovation which was published on, on the Palgrave Macmillan Publishing House in 2018. Uh, I remind our, our listeners that it is indeed open access. You can download it for uh, free on the Palgrave website. And in, the, in one of the first chapters of the book we outline 
these seven developments uh, that are captured in the seven words of the uh, re- or the seven letters of the restart framework, and the the the, the words to take them first are redesign, experimentation, service logic, the circular economy, alliances, results and three-dimensionality. But let us uh, put them a little bit more into context by, by quoting uh, the, the, the part of the book where these seven propositions of what sustainable business models will look like. Uh, and it goes as follows. They will require frequent redesign, which necessitates controlled experimentation and be characterized by service logic based on ideas from the circular economy which will make alliances even more important in order to achieve the right results in a world where the scorecard is three-dimensional. So what I thought we could do now, Sveinung, is to use these seven developments that are captured in these seven propositions. They're sort of phrased in the form of propositions about where business models are headed uh, in the future and try to, to map the interface case onto these seven. And we've already said that, yes, the redesign of the interface business model is very evident. And the second phrase, as I said, is it will necessitate controlled experimentation. And indeed, if you look at the history website on on Interfaces uh, website, you will find that they are referring to many of the experiments that have led them to where they are uh, today. Experimentation with renewable energy sources in in their production processes. experimentation with new input factors into uh, into their their carpets. One of their uh, very well-known experiments uh, was in the Philippines, I believe. Uh, so I, know, I, think it, I think the name of the project is Networks, uh, where the, the net refers to fishnets. And they essentially paid, as I understand it, uh, fishermen to uh, bring uh, fishnets that would otherwise be left in the oceans and create problems uh, for life underwater, uh, to bring them back to land so that Interface could bring it to one of their facilities and produce carpet tiles from uh, that um, input factor. Which is an which is an important experiment, but it's it's quite small compared to the the large experiment they're running now with factories as a forest. So we hear we, we see the whole scale here from the many small important ones to uh, the large ones and also the the, the humongous ones on on the on on redesigning uh, continuously the, the the business model of 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 these companies. So redesign experimentation uh, services the circular alliances results and three-dimensional. So that's the exper- experimentation, Lars Jakob. Take it away on, on, on services. And we talked about it already, yeah. carpets as a service, as an, as an example. We definitely have. And of course, the, the, uh, the, the, the opposite pole on the dimension here for, for the service logic is the product logic. And that is where Interface came from. They, they made products, they sold products, the, co- the, the buyers of those products took on the ownership, And while these products remain as physical as they have been, this isn't like the record industry where the records became digitized and suddenly you could stream them on your phone. The product stays physical. So so the product is still, quote unquote, a product, but it is turned into a service through the way that the customer uh, pays for the access to the product rather than taking on the ownership of the product. And in that way, uh, the business model of Interface has a very clear service logic dimension. And of course, the fact that Interface retains the ownership of these carpets, as we talked about, that gave them really a push to turn the products in to becoming more circular in the sense that they could make new carpets from old carpets, because since they retained the ownership, they could now produce them so that the textile was easily removable or detachable from the rubbery mat or what it's called underneath, so that they could be separately sorted and recycled and thereby used uh, in the production of new carpets. And that led to these circles that I think also the Networks project with the fishnets becoming uh, new carpets is also a form of upcycling where you take something that has very low value. It is indeed just a problem for the oceans and you turn them uh, into uh, new products of higher value. So this circular dimension is there. So the service logic and the circular. And then the third of these 
three letters in the middle of the restart framework, STNA, service logic, the circular economy, and alliances. Because alliances also became important here. And the, the Fisher example is, or the Fishnet example, is one such alliance. But of course, many other players also entered into various forms of, of alliances and collaborative relationships with Interface in trying to uh, redesign their products to create a supply chain that was more uh, sustainable. They entered into to collaborative relationships with their suppliers. So you had all of these things going on at the level of strategic alliances that helped the company um, also improve its footprints along both s- uh, social and environmental dimensions. So, so the, those three. I will ask you to return to R and T um, in the case of interface Jacob. Uh, but these the, the question here of alliances is uh, the last years and and the companies that we work with as researchers or in 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 other ways uh, work with we're in the boards or or as advisors and so on. We see that the question of alliances and and. Getting back to, to innovation again, this this uh, notion of open innovation, and you mentioned it here, that you have to start working perhaps with competitors in your sector in order to uh, together find solutions to, to lower the CO2 footprint, for instance. You have to work together in closer collaboration with, with the customers, opening up. You have to, to work closer and, and kind of make, uh, and we're going to have at least one episode uh, on that, Jakob, uh, the, the ecosystems of business models where one business model alone is not able to, to solve this. And I mentioned that with, with Interface back in 1994. They set um, 25 years to, to do something about this because they understood that they were a part of a larger system where they did not have control <laughs> over all of this. So it needed that other companies as well also started to to redesign their business model in order to to uh, to give them access to to cleaner energy for instance they can just uh, just snap their fingers and get um, and get uh, green energy to run all their plants right so th- so th- they needed then alliances with other companies as well um that um, had different role in this whole circle. And we introduced now the circular economy here, uh, where um, we especially see the need for competitors, uh, for um, customers and the company, for um, uh, collaboration between uh, the the public and the regulation um, and and the companies. So, So these kinds of alliances here has become more and more important uh, the, the last year, and we see now so many good examples of companies uh, working together, companies and, and the public working together, how companies reach out to, to social entrepreneurs to get um, to get people that are that, that are that are not uh, being hired by other companies. I mean, uh, to, to, to integrate that into the, the, the core of the business. I mean, we're seeing so many interesting alliances uh, bubbling up to 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 the to the <laughs> on this ocean of sustainable business uh, uh, models and we will absolutely return to this uh, in, in one or more episodes but then take uh, take us to the r and the t yeah the the last two um parts of the framework the last two developments that the framework is suggesting that companies need to rethink the way they are what kind of results they are trying to achieve in a world where the scorecard is three-dimensional. This is not not at least true in the age of the EU taxonomy, in the age of these new ESG factors that are being uh, assessed and screened by investors and banks and and, uh, other players alike. Uh, It it is clear that uh, being able to identify, uh, prioritize between, manage and report on your social and environmental footprints is becoming a very important part of business management. Um, and it was interesting. I revisited uh, in preparation for this episode, uh, this history website of, of uh, Interface. Uh, and it's interesting to see how in the beginning of the story, they they point out, uh, the, the, they refer to them as eco-metrics, 
uh, the seven fronts that the company needed to progress on to achieve the vision of what they called Mount Sustainability. It was sort of a, a sustainability mountain that they had to climb. And they say that there were seven fronts that they wanted to deliver on. And everything they talked about at the time uh, was zero targets. Uh, after that, we know that they've moved on to the regenerative and sort of going beyond zero. But at the time, it was zero waste to landfill, zero fossil fuel energy use, zero process water use, and zero greenhouse gas uh, emissions. Those were the zero targets out of the seven fronts. And they had some eco-metrics, they call them, that were metrics for following up uh, these zero goals. Where are we? Where were we last year? Where do we expect to be next year? You know, this is basic you know, management and it's basic management control, if you will. Uh, and it is becoming a very important part of sustainability uh, management. And I, I, I think that, you know, this is, is such a, it's so interesting to see so many years later that they had such a, a front and center focus on this sort of three-dimensional, um, uh, what do you call it, scorecard. They, they basically put up a, a three-dimensional scorecard with a, a time horizon of 25 years, right? And they wanted to track their progress along those performance dimensions uh, during uh, those years. And that's essentially what the last two letters of the Restart Framework is about, results and three-dimensionality. What does your scorecard look like? What are the goals that you've set? What are the metrics or indicators of, of success along those, uh, the, the line towards those goals? Uh, what might be incentives that you would use in order to, to, to increase the likelihood that your managers and your employees are going to move in the direction of those goals? That's, in some sense, the management control dimension of the restart framework. So, you know, as, the, as this walkthrough of the seven dimensions has shown, um, parts of the restart framework is to a great deal about innovation. Parts of it is about, you know, like, like you talked about strategy and alliances and, and collaboration and in, in that sense also organization. And parts of it is about uh, the management control dimension and the sort of more, often more quantitative dimension of setting goals and ensuring that you are moving in the right direction towards those goals in the right uh, in the in the right uh, speed and uh, and so on. So, so so that's an important part of the framework uh, at the very end. Absolutely. And in the first episode, Lashokov, we we introduced uh, adventures in in sustainable business. We introduced this podcast, what we want it to be about. And and today we talked about this restart framework and we introduced so many concepts here from the business world to the, the redesign of it, to the experimentation, service uh, economy, the circular economy, alliances, and now also results and this three-dimensionality and, and the reporting aspect of it. And uh, in the same way as the first episode, we are introducing here things that we will talk more about in future episodes here because there, there's so many uh, so many things to explore there's so many cases to explore and there's so many ongoing restarts and and people that we want to talk about talk about and talk with and and it would be great to get someone from interface uh, to get here and, and tell about not only the journey uh, up until now but what about the future adventures of this uh, company and and uh, I am I'm and we are extremely thankful to to Ray Anderson um, for he was a sustainability adventurer absolutely and maybe one of our favorites and and one that has uh, given us um, a lot of energy on our adventures and um, and the company um, now also after he died sadly uh, seems to work with the same ideas, uh, setting new goals, trying to understand how they can align the company with society, with the environment, uh, rethink products, rethink the way we are owning them, using them, uh, and also helping other companies to achieve this uh, through sharing what they're doing. But also, uh, if I understand it correctly, it's selling consultancy services to other companies who wants to do what we call um, a, a restart. And and in later episodes, Lashok, we will talk not as directly about those seven uh, concepts of restart. I mean, that's just 
uh, a map that we're showing here of, of some different and important aspects here. But uh, in the car industry, in, in building ships, in, in, in the clothes that we wear, all the technical uh, devices that we use, I mean, in, in, in sector after sector, in business after business, um, those kinds of restarts that are going on and all the restarts that are necessary uh, moving forward, uh, if we are going even want to be close to uh, achieving collectively the sustainable development goals of, of 2030, we have now nine years, soon to be eight years uh, of um, redesigning, experiment, experimenting with new business models and the collaboration between them, thinking services in new ways, going into the circular economy. And I mean, there's so many business models just within the circular economy that we will continue to dig into here. And also then the question, as we repeated, about alliances, how to deal with that. And, and we, we often see that and meet that if we work with clusters of, of companies working together or working with a single company or, or and so on. Um, this is this is often quite difficult for a company. They're so used to thinking us, we, our needs, but then they see that, well, in order to, to get the necessary data here from our production of the of the of the product and how it's used and, and to, to get access to it and then to be able to repair it and, and, and so on, well, then we need to share data with others um, in in the same uh, value chain to turn that from a linear value chain into something that is more circular and and that's a difficult question and that's a difficult question that we will explore and how to to design those ecosystems then of sustainable business model again to achieve those results because what are then the important results um, in the future in a world that hopefully it's becoming more three-dimensional and then we're seeing it we're seeing the changes in, re in in regulation that which requires companies to not only score on economics but also score on environmental issues and social issues and not only the the the, the economy of the company but the economy as a whole these questions and many more we look forward to explore in future episodes of this uh, podcast series in future adventures in sustainable business today we've tried to take a sort of a bird's eye view on what we call a restart, but with what is ultimately about companies, and for that matter, uh, nonprofit or public organizations, attempts to align financial goals with sustainability goals. Uh, and uh, we've tried to dig into the interface case as, as one example of that. We have not taken all the details of that story. We urge our listeners to who are interested to to dig uh, more into the interface in, uh, history, which is is well documented in in many other sources. Uh, and uh, uh, with that, Svainung, we look forward to uh, the next adventure. You have listened to Adventures in Sustainable Business with Jurgensen and Peterson. Visit us at jurgensenpeterson.no, where you can find more information about this podcast and other information about our work. And if you like the podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review.